0: Revelation chapter 18 tonight we're getting down there to the end but we're not quite finished yet in fact can I just tell you the best is yet to come in a couple weeks we're going to be looking at the second coming of Christ and what will eternity be like and what is heaven going to be like and all kinds of good stuff coming up but tonight We are in the chapter where God judges the final world system, represented by descriptions like the great prostitute, as we saw last week, or Babylon, which embodies both, as we saw also last week, the false religious system entangled with the final political system, in a sense, the one world government and the one world religion that will rule over time. And so here tonight in Revelation chapter 18, we're looking at the fact that God is going to severely judge the great prostitute. And what can we take from this? How can we apply this to our own life? I hope that we can see some real practical application out of this chapter tonight. In fact, At the very beginning, this goes very well with our series on being a servant out of 2 Corinthians, because I want to direct your attention to the first verse, and I see three things in here that actually can be applied to every servant of God. John writes, after these things, I saw another angel who possessed great authority coming down out of heaven, and the earth was lit up by his radiance and he shouted therefore with a powerful voice three things first of all you'll notice that this angel possessed authority that came from god this was the delegated power of god it was god giving this angel the authorization to act which is both a privilege and a responsibility God gives us his authority. Matthew 28, all authority, Jesus says, has been given to me, and in that authority, go and make disciples of all nations. When you and I are doing the will of God and we are fulfilling his plan for our life, we carry with us that authority. We must never forget that. We go in the authority of God. We've been authorized by God to act, to do certain things, and we carry that with us. So it's both a privilege and responsibility. Second, you'll notice that the angel came from the presence of God, and when he came down from heaven, the whole earth was lit up by his radiance, which again reminds us that one who comes from God's presence radiates the glory of God. When you and I, even today, maybe not physically, but when we spend time spiritually in the presence of God, it will change the countenance of our faith. It it will change our attitude. It will change what we look like. We can carry the light of God when we spend time in God's presence. And then finally, notice he spoke with a powerful voice. When you and I carry the authority of God, we know that God has given us this mission to do. And so we are going with his authorization, his authority, his power to act. And we have come from the very presence of God. Then the words we speak will be words spoken in confidence and with conviction. And that's what the angel did. And so here in the very first verse, we see some things that we can even apply to our own lives today of being a servant of God and carrying out the will of God. But the first thing I want us to note here about the judgment of God upon the final world system is this. First of all, the propriety of God's judgment. What I mean by that is simply how fitting and suitable it is that God judges the final world system as severely as he does the propriety of God's judgment. Why? First of all, verse 2, because this final world system is judged for its demonic nature. Notice the angel shouts with a powerful voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Let's stop there for a moment. Very important point. I've made it before throughout the book of Revelation. This is a time in the book where an event still future... Is spoken of as if it already happened. God does that a lot. An event that has yet to come, but yet it's spoken like it's in the past tense. Why? Because if God says it's going to happen, it is sure and certain to happen. God's promises are reliable. God can be depended upon. So the angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a lair for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detested beast. This final world system is going to be as demonic as any world system has ever been. In fact, more demonic. In fact, we see through the Bible that the closer we get to the return of Christ and the closer we get to the end, that there is more activity in the spiritual and in the demonic world. And you and I have to be aware of that. So first of all, the first reason why we see the propriety of God's judgment on the final world system is its demonic nature. Second, the world system is judged for its idolatries, verse 3. It's idolatries. For all the nations have fallen from the wine of her immoral passion, and the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have gotten rich from the power of her sensual behavior. Remember, again, throughout the book of Revelation, many times sexual immorality is often a picture of spiritual adultery or idolatry, you see literally and figuratively getting into bed with false gods. In fact, you see here that the idols of this life have cast a spell over the human race, and they are bowing and they are worshiping at these idols. So the false world system is being judged for its demonic nature. It's being judged for leading people away from the worship of the one true God to false gods and idols. Third, the worldly system is judged for its sinfulness. Verse 4, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, so that you will not take part in her sins, so you will not receive her plagues. Notice God is saying to his own people during the tribulation period who've come to know him, Stay with her and you'll suffer with her. Leave the world and the things of the world behind. And when I thought of that principle, I could not help but think of Lot's wife. God says, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, but I'm going to rescue and deliver you, Lot, and your family. And as they were leaving, because Lot's wife's heart was still in Sodom, She turned because that's where her heart, that's what she longed for. She was physically separating from that place, maybe because she felt she had to, but her heart had never separated from there and God turned her into a pillar of salt and Jesus said, remember Lot's wife." Not so much because God turned her into a pillar of salt, but just for the idea of where was her heart? Her heart was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Her heart was not with God. And God is here saying, Get away, not physically from the world. You and I can't get away physically from the world, but leave the world and all that the world desires behind. Do not be captivated by the world and what it offers do not be captivated by what Satan offers as he did to Jesus when he tempted him, when he offered him all the kingdoms of the world, because these are very temporary. And as we saw last week in 1 John two seventeen, the world is passing away with all its desires, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. 1 John two seventeen. So God is judging the world system severely because of its demonic nature, because of its idolatries, because of its sinfulness, Before I leave that, oh, something else good here I want you to see. Notice God after he says, come out from her so that you will not take part in her sins, so you will not receive her plagues. Then verse 5 says, because her sins have piled up all the way to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes." Literally, God has held them in his memory. He keeps them in mind. Now think about that in contrast to us and how God, when we accept Christ as our Savior, forgets all of our sins. The Bible says he casts them into the depths of the sea, that he removes and separates us from our sins as far as the east from the west. God never holds our sin in his mind. It's gone. Because we accepted Christ, because Christ is the payment of our sins. But because these folks have not turned to Christ as their Savior, God holds every sin in his memory. You see, every sin. What a contrast between God not holding any of our sins against us and God remembering all of her sins. Repay, verse 6, her the same way she repaid others. In fact, pay her back double. Double. Corresponding to her deeds, in the cup she mixed, mixed double the amount for her, indicating a judgment of God in full measure. This is why I said earlier, this is picturing God severely judging the last world system. Why? Because of its demonic nature, because of its idolatry, because of its sinfulness, and finally, she's being judged for her pride. Notice verse 7. As much as she exalted herself, and lived in sensual luxury to this extent give her torment and grief because she said to herself, I rule. No, you don't rule. God rules in the kingdoms of men, we learned in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. He's the one who rules and who appoints those who lead the kingdoms of this world. This world system, nor the antichrist, nor any other human being, Rules. God rules. And we must always keep that in mind. But her pride says, I rule as queen. I will never be a widow. I will never experience grief. I can rise above it all. I will never be touched by anything inferior to me. I will never be touched by the things that have touched lowly human beings in the past and other world systems. I'm the final world system and I will exist forever. For this reason, verse 8, what reason? For her arrogance and pride, she will experience her plagues, notice, in a single day. Disease, mourning, and famine, and she will be burned down with fire. Why? Because the Lord God who judges her is powerful. He is literally strong and mighty, and this word powerful speaks of God's power being an unstoppable force. When God wants to bring something or someone down, he can do it in a split second. When God wants to exalt someone or something and lift it up, God can do it in the twinkling of an eye because God is powerful. God rules, and God is powerful. And God can change circumstances in an instant if God wants to, you see. Because our God is certainly not impotent in any way. If God has not chosen to act or do something, it's simply because in his wisdom and his timing and his plan, he's chosen it's just not the right time. It's not because he can't. Because our God is all-powerful. He is strong and mighty. And so I want to go now and transition from the propriety of God's judgment, and I want us to see this for a minute as an encouragement to us, the promptness of God's judgment. It begins there in the middle of verse 8 where it says literally in a single day God's going to bring down the final world system. In fact, it gets even better. Go over with me for a second to verse 10. Notice what it says there. In a single hour your doom has come. God's judgment has come. Notice down in verse 17, because in a single hour, such great wealth has been destroyed. Finally, in verse 19, in a single hour, she has been destroyed. I mean, just for a moment, I don't want to spend too much time, but, but just think for a moment in your mind the proud people of the world, especially the leaders, who think they are above it all, right? And that they have created this final world system that is the pinnacle of everything that mankind has ever dreamed of, right? One world government, one world religion. It's it's the greatest thing ever. And everybody's prospering under it and all of that. And God literally brings it down in less than 24 hours. Everything changes in such a short amount of time. Because it doesn't take God long to bring something down or to raise something up. What I want us tonight to do with this principle and this truth is to apply this in a positive way to our life. Right now, you may be in a circumstance or situation. And here's the deal. God can come in and change that in a second. God can bring healing in a second. God can bring deliverance in a second. It doesn't take God long to do anything. If God wants to act and wills it to act, it can be done in no time at all. And God can change things very suddenly and very quickly. It can come like a lightning bolt. So remember that throughout your life. Just as you think negatively about how quickly the final world system is brought down by God, think about how you can apply that to your own life and see how God can change things in ways in such a short amount of time, how he can just change the whole atmosphere, the whole environment of lives and and families and circumstances and situations. It doesn't take God long at all. So we see the promptness of God's judgment. Now, notice something else. I want you to notice now the permanence of God's judgment you begin to see that there's three groups of people that are really mourning the destruction of the final world empire, if you will. Beginning in verse 9, you have the leaders of the world, the kings, the movers and shakers, the power brokers. In verse 11, you have the merchants. And you see all the commodities that are listed there. In fact, I want to point this out because there are many Christians that feel like that as we get closer to the end of time and the end of the world, that that somehow uh, earthly prosperity is not going to be around. Oh, my friends, the earth is going to prosper up until the very end. I mean, these people, now, I'm not saying everybody on earth, but I'm saying that there's going to be prosperity on the earth. You see, all of these commodities that are affected by the downfall of the world empire, beginning in verse 12, and so the merchants of the earth who made themselves rich off all of these commodities, it's gone. And then you see in verse 17, the, uh, those that are in charge of the shipping, the shipping magnets, if you will, the, the, the shipping tycoons who are getting rich by shipping all of the treasures and commodities all over the world. They're also mourning. And by the way, it's very interesting. All three of these groups, when they begin to see the destruction of Babylon happen so quickly, the Bible says they stand afar off. Like, well, we don't want any parts of that, although they're mourning. And in fact, they're grieving. You can go back and study it for yourself. I didn't want to take the time to do it tonight. They are, they are grieving with such an excessive grief, it happens nowhere else in Scripture. It's almost like they're inconsolable because everything that they have ever dreamed of, lived for, worked for, put forth their effort in is gone, and not just gone, gone in such a short time. So we see in this chapter the propriety of God's judgment. We see the promptness of God's judgment. I want you to see the permanence of God's judgment, and I want to begin in verse 14. Notice that John writes, the ripe fruit or the prosperity of earthly things you greatly desired have gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have gone from you, and notice this phrase, and we'll come back to it many times, they will never, ever be found again, Permanent. All they lived for, gone, not just gone, gone forever. Now, in the first phrase of verse 14, has gone from you, it literally means God has separated you from all your stuff. It's departed, it's gone. But the second phrase, have gone from you, in verse 14, means that it's destroyed. It's burned up. Think about 1 Corinthians 3, that passage that even talks to us as believers about the way we lived our lives and the things we lived for and that one day all all of our life and all that we've lived for is going to pass through a fire, the Bible says. And that anything earthly materially physically is going to be burned up in that fire so if that's what we live for earthly temporal material things and that was it then everything's burned up we have nothing to carry with us even as believers to the other side which is why paul says in 1 corinthians 3 they are saved yet as by fire but if you and i live for eternal things and we invest in eternal things, and we lay up treasure in heaven, then that will pass through the fire of God and be carried over for all eternity. For these folks, because obviously they're not believers, not only are they separated for all time from the things that they live for forever, but they literally have it all destroyed. It's gone. It's not even something that they can ever get back, which is why it says at the end of verse 14, never to be found again. Let that settle. Never. All I could think about here was the story out of Luke chapter 12 of the rich young ruler. You know the story, very familiar. The guy who kept building storage units to house all his stuff, and finally he sort of sits back after he's got all his storage units stuffed with stuff, And he says, ah, now I can rest for a little while. Eat, drink, and be merry, he says. And God very suddenly and very quickly changes the whole equation and says, you fool, tonight your soul is required. What's going to happen now to all this stuff? Because you're going into eternity. Fool, God says because he didn't live for eternal things. He didn't lay up treasure in heaven. He wasn't rich toward God, as Jesus says in that parable there. That's all I could think about when I think about this and these folks at the end of time who have created this supposed utopia on earth, and their whole life has been spent with time and energy and sweat and blood and tears and all that to build up all this stuff that's going to be gone forever. They have nothing to show for their life. You and I can praise God that, that the things that you and I live for are the things that's going to last for billions of years from now. They're what really count. They're what really matter because hopefully all of us are living for eternal things rather than earthly things like these folks. So notice how this phrase is repeated over and over and over again in this chapter. Look at verse 21. Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down, and it will never be found again. Verse 22, never be heard in you again. Verse 22, ever be found in you again. Never be heard in you again. Verse 23, never shine in you again. Never be heard in you again. I think we get the picture. When God finally judges the final world system, it's done and it's done for good. And at this point, life as we know it on earth will never be the same again because in the next chapter we're going to look at it in a couple weeks, Jesus comes to not only then finally take care of all evil on earth, but he comes to set up his literal earthly kingdom that you and I are a part of for a thousand years. I think about this truth and this principle in another way, how we can apply this to our life. What God does, he does for eternity. and That's why when God wants to work in our life, he wants to do a work that will last for eternity. And he wants to do something that's going to last God is not interested in the short-term stuff that just lasts for a little bit and then is no more. God's not interested in that kind of stuff. And we as Christians have to get away from not being able to go the long haul and sustain something. You know, it's always we live in this culture, in this world where we're on to the next thing, right? All the time. And we can't stick with something longer than just a little while. Well, guess what? God's planning on doing that even through this next couple of years that we're together, because I think I mentioned this, and I'll I'll mention it on a Sunday too, but God led me and said, Jeff, on Wednesdays, starting after Revelation, I want you to go through the entire book of Genesis, all 50-some chapters. Then I want you to go through every chapter in the book of Exodus on Wednesday night." all 40-some chapters. Well, there's 90 weeks. (laughs) And then God said, oh, and Sunday, after you do a a short series after 2 Timothy and Job, our worship series for the fall, then, then I want you to go through the entire book of Joshua on Sunday morning, along with some psalms scattered in. And then, then after all that, I want you to go through Isaiah. And one of the reasons why God wants to do that here is because God wants to build a people that aren't coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays because of what the pastor's series is about or even what the worship leader's song selections are because God wants to show us that no matter what songs Nicole chooses to do that Wednesday or Sunday, or what passage of Scripture Pastor Jeff chooses to teach on, we're going to engage and experience God, and that should be good enough for God's people. Not, oh, well, the pastor's speaking on this subject, or this topic, or he's going through this book, so I'll go then, but I won't go. uh, No, no, God wants to show us, not only do I want you to just go and learn to be faithful, I want you to go over the long haul, and I want you to be able to learn to stick with stuff over a long period of time. Because God is all about doing things for the long haul, not just for the short term. The permanence of God. Now notice about this. Verse 21, there will be no record of her any longer. Then one powerful angel picked up a stone like a huge millstone, threw it into the land and sea with this kind of sudden violent force. Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down. It will never be found again. The angel's actions demonstrate the severity and finality of Babylon's destruction, so there will be no record of her. Second, there will be no rejoicing over her. Verse 22, the sound of the harpist, musicians, flute players, and trumpeters will never be heard again in you. There will be no rebuilding of her. No craftsman who practices any trade will ever be found in you again. The noise of a mill will never be heard in you again. There will be no reflection of her, because God will take away her light. once once and for all, even the light from a lamp will never shine in you again. There will be no recovery for her. The voices of the bridegroom and his bride will never be heard in you again. That which brings life and family and all that we can celebrate gone forever. There will be no respect for her for the merchants were the tycoons of the world because all the nations were deceived by your magic spells and they see through the, uh, the bait and switch, if you will, of this world system. They see that they have been offered a bill of goods and that they've been deceived and everything that they invested in now is gone and taken from them forever. They've been taken and there will be no redemption for her. Verse 24, for the blood of the saints and the prophets was found in her along with the blood of all those who've been killed on the earth. Yes, there was blood there, but it wasn't the blood of Jesus Christ and only the blood of Jesus Christ can redeem us all. Gone, gone, gone. So we've seen the propriety of God's judgment upon the final world system. We've seen the promptness of God's judgment. It's going to happen very suddenly and very quickly. And we've seen the permanence of God's judgment. Now I want to take you to something else to end with tonight, the praise of God's judgment. I'm going to begin in verse, well, let's begin in verse 17. We'll, we'll lead into it. Because in a single hour, such great wealth has been destroyed, so that every ship's captain and all who sail along the coast, seamen and all who make their living from the sea, stood a long way off and began to shout when they saw the smoke from the fire that burned her up. Who is like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads and were shouting with weeping and mourning, Whoa, whoa, great city! in which all those who had ships on the sea got rich from her wealth because in a single hour she's been destroyed. But here's a command. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has pronounced judgment against her on your behalf. We are not commanded to rejoice over the souls that go out into eternity without Christ. Even the Bible says God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but we are rejoicing over God's victory, over evil, over death, over sin. See, heaven is rightly singing of the utter destruction of this final world system and all that is opposed to God so that God can come and set up his kingdom and so that his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the destiny of the great prostitute, of the final world system, of Babylon. Call it whatever you will. And the saints of God and the prophets of God and the angels of God are to be joyful In God's victory in fact that's what this word rejoice means to the joy of God's victory God is finally going to come and and show who he really is and take over this world once again from man but don't miss this part of what we also see here in verse 20 is that God comes and pronounces judgment because of us because of all the saints down through the ages, who prayed the prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And all those saints, even during the tribulation that we saw earlier, who said, Lord, how long? How long till you avenge our blood? When are you gonna come and set things right? And so here, God is saying, It's going to be on your behalf. I'm doing this not just for me. I'm doing this for you, and especially for all of my saints who are going to be part of not only my millennial kingdom on earth, but my forever kingdom. I couldn't help also when I was thinking about this, that phrase, God's judgment is pronounced on your behalf, of thinking of that story of the unjust judge from Luke chapter 18. You know the story where the widow keeps bugging the judge and finally he gives in, and, and the judge is a, a huge contrast to God, right? That, that's mainly what the story is about, that God is not like the unjust judge. But then Jesus says this at the end. He says, won't God avenge his chosen ones who have cried to him day and night? He says, yeah, surely. God will avenge his chosen ones who have cried out to him day and night to make things right on the earth. That's what this is all about. And that's why we see at the very end here the praise of God's judgment by his people, by those who trust him. And by the way, to give you a little preview for a couple weeks from now on August the 11th when we study Revelation 19, the hallelujah chorus, if you will, or heaven's hallelujahs in Revelation chapter 19 are in response. The praise, the worship of Revelation 19 is in response to this command from Revelation 18, 20. Rejoice. So you'll notice in chapter 19, I heard a sound like a loud voice of a vast throng in heaven saying, hallelujah, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and just. He's judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. He's avenged the blood by his servants poured out by their own hands. The second time the crowd shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke rises from her forever and ever. The 24 elders, the four living creatures, threw themselves to the ground and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And then I'll drop down to verse 6. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the all-powerful reigns. By the way, these four, the only time the word hallelujah is used in the Bible. Right here, Revelation 19. The hallelujah chorus. heavens, hallelujah. All in response to Revelation 18, 20. Rejoice over her. Rejoice in the victory of God. I'll end with this tonight, folks. I don't know where you're at in life, what you're going through, if you're going through some kind of battle right now in your life, some kind of struggle or whatever, but I want to encourage you and leave you with this. You and I have again been reminded tonight of how powerful our God is, how capable our God is, how able He is, and how swift and suddenly He can change things. So here's what I want to encourage you with and leave you with. If our Jesus one day is going to be able to literally take down all evil in the universe within a 24-hour period and literally wipe out all evil and wickedness and demonic influence and Satan and all of that, and take it all down in such a short amount of time, effortlessly, by the way, because our Lord God is so powerful, then you tonight can trust God for the battles and struggles that you're going through. If he is capable of bringing down the universe of evil one day and making everything right in a very short amount of time, he can handle your battles and struggles and he can help you with your battles and struggles. Cast then your burdens upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never suffer his children to be moved. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for the reminders, God, of just how strong and capable and able and powerful you are, God, that one day you have shown us through your word that is absolutely reliable and dependable, that you will bring down this world system quicker than anyone could ever imagine. And Lord, sometimes even as Christians, we think, oh, things can't change quickly, things can't change suddenly. And then we look, think back over our life, And we think back to a date like 9-11, and we think, oh, yeah. You know, the world was just humming along, and then that happened, and boy, what a change that was, even for us in our own country. And then we look back to even just a year and a half or so ago, and we think, oh, when this COVID swept Through the world, oh, how things changed and changed so quickly. So, God, you do remind us through the events of our life that things can change very quickly, and God, you can change things in an instant. So, Lord, I pray tonight that we would be encouraged that that this universe, first of all, is yours and it's in your hands and it's following your plan. And no world system and no antichrist and no amount of human leaders or demonic beings, Lord, rules in the kingdoms of men. You do, God. You do. And no one's going to thwart your plan or challenge your authority. And so, God, I pray that we would trust you like never before, that no matter what happens in our life, No matter how upside down and topsy-turvy and shaken, Lord, everything around us may be, may we not be shaken as your people. May we be settled and stable and secure and safe in you, God, at all times, knowing that you are strong and mighty and no one is more powerful or capable or able than you, God. Would you take us home tonight Give us a good night's rest and allow us to come back on Sunday to worship you once again. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless.